This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about Puttering About in a Small Land, a novel by Philip K. Dick, first published in 1985, apparently written in 1957. Um, I think it's a magnificent novel. What do you guys think of it? I saw Paul tweeting about some audiobook he was trying to struggle through earlier this week. <laughs> I saw that too. I was waiting for both of you like, to say that you hated it. Yeah, um... I am not a fan of this book. <laughs> you had you said I had things to say about this book, or I have opinions about this book. Um, that's interesting. Um, Marissa, how do you feel about the book? Uh, I really enjoyed this book. Like it's, I, I guess I have opinions about it too. Like there's there's problems with it, but overall, I I really enjoy it. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I was thinking. Um, you know, I'm not a mainstream book fan. I don't like mainstream books. And this is exactly a mainstream book in so many ways. Um, uh, the way I generally uh, disparage mainstream books is it's about marriage and, and people cheating on each other. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> guess what? This is a mainstream book um, by Jesse's gutter definition of mainstream books. Um, however, I think... It has uh, it has them all beat. All the mainstream books I've ever read, this ha- has it wow. all beat. Because it's almost less a mainstream book than it is a existential novel. Yes. There's something missing in everybody's lives in this in this story, and the there's so many special scenes where that comes out that I forgive it all of the uh, mm-hmm. the uh, mainstreaminess that it has. Yeah, I feel like it's really a book about dread and it's like that mm-hmm. kind of dread that maybe, well, I think we all know, like that kind of, I don't know, that creeping kind of living in this particular social order kind of dread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Paul, <laughs> um, what 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 where where did it start to go wrong for you? How many pages in? <laughs> um, well, oh god, I, I feel like I'm being put on the spot. Maybe you should just, too. You should talk about how you love this book, and I'll remain quiet. <laughs> no, because I, I I I was totally willing to go into your camp as well. Yeah. Um, there's so many points where I was like, why am I listening to this book? And then. I, I, I mean, my technical difficulties aside, because yeah. I had a glitch. I had a yeah, glitch you did have a glitch that. early on. I did have a glitch, but the the novel had already had caused me had already uh, not found favor with by that point. I mean, I liked the opening, driving up to the school and dealing with that, but then after that, yeah, it's just like. Why am I listening to this? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, th- yeah, there's yeah. no speculative elements. I I dislike modern mimetic fiction as much as you do, if not more. Did you say mimetic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that's that's uh, a term I've used, I, I heard described it, it, it's, mainstream as it's, well. 
it's just like I'm not interested in this. I'm not the. I I don't like these characters. There's no there's no hook for me to keep pulling through this. I don't like their lives. I, I mean I I mean. The, the, I I felt most for the son, and the son's not really a much of a character in this novel. It's like he's the one that's poor, the poor victim of all of all the their. I mean these these two people who really shouldn't be together, but have gotten together and got stick together, and it goes all the way through to the ending where Roger basically recapitulates what he did with his first wife. It's like. What, what he wanted to do all this time that basically his mother-in-law kept him from doing, from l- jumping out on his wife, he finally does at the end. It's like, so, so what is this about the inevitability of the breakup of a marriage? Does yeah, that, that was, that's, that's that was his was. third time. Yeah. Yep. And that was his third time, by the way. Like, he left his wife before the one that we're reading about as well. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, this, this, this I mean, maybe it's because I'm not, Married, maybe it's because I failed at relationships. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's all that. That it's like I cannot, I cannot, and do not care, and do not want to spend time with these people. I mean, a dinner party with no, these people monsters. would be they're all awful. horrible. Yeah, I think all the reasons- even interesting, awful. There's just awful, awful. It's like. Yeah, that's the bit I disagree with. I think everything you just said is all the reasons why I like it. Yeah, like, I, I didn't. I, I, I totally <laughs> flip flopped uh, on it like that. Just like, yeah. just like I was in Paul's camp. Now I'm in Marissa's camp, and and you know, yeah. I think Paul, if you could, it, it, if we can disregard the uh, the content of the novel itself, would you say that this is in the top half or the bottom half of his com- composition of a novel? of his novels you've read so far, is it a one of his betterly composed novels or one of his worstly composed novels? Oh, we, we've read some really badly composed Philip K. Dick novels. So almost it would have, to, I mean, just be stripped of the fact that I didn't like the thing. Yes, it's definitely well composed. It works well. I mean, I mean, we, the, the lines of the story are, are good. It's just not a story I cared to read. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think he's really smooth in this, and that it's almost so smooth that it's it's one of his most smoothest and maybe most beautiful in in a few places. However, yeah, mm-hmm. it is the subject is a whole bunch of horrible people. Now, I, I have a, a way for you to solve um, uh, some of the ways I got through this novel, Paul, because it is about okay. subjects that I hate. <laughs> it's just hate okay. hearing about people yep. and their relationships and about how they want to cheat on people, but they still love their wife or whatever. Um, uh, so my my last theory happened near the end, which was just a few minutes ago. Um, remember the Mexicans? They're not really oh. Mexicans. They're Martians. Now, that fixes the novel in a lot of ways. And you're saying, what the fuck is Jesse talking about? Um, do you remember? Jesse, what the heck are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> do you remember? Um, he's actually used these scenes in other uh, other books. A Martian time slip is this book uh, with, right. set on Mars. What does yeah. he, Do you remember what he does with his autistic son in uh, Martian time slip? He That's gives right. he gives his son to the to the Martians, and he says that it's he's going to have a better life with them. 
right? And mm-hmm. that almost happens in the end of this book, right? The kid is put on the lap of one of the, uh, without, you know, any ceremony, he's put on the lap of one of the hitchhikers, and he talks, he listens to their lives, and uh, I think we're supposed to infer that the psychology that's going on in his mind that we never actually see um, is that that is the determinant as to what he does next, which is, you know, abandon his wife and kid and move to Chicago. With a load of stolen televisions. Yeah. Oh, stolen from oh, his own business. <laughs> oh, yeah, but but the business has been taken out from under him, basically. Yeah. Uh, so the other really way, the, so so it's a secret science fiction novel, and there there are a whole bunch of scenes I, I I'd like to point to and get you guys to point to as well that I think it, it's all it it becomes a science fiction novel for a moment and then jumps away. I kept wait. Uh, th- mm-hmm. That's what's so weird about this book, is you're reading it and it's going along like a regular Philip K. Dick book, and at the point where, um, it would normally start spinning uh some fantastic new science fiction idea that Philip K. Dick is gonna ruminate on and um and then undercut and then ruminate on and un- undercut every time that's about to happen he it's a it, it's averted right and it's stop no 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 i'm writing a mainstream book <laughs> and he pulls back um and so it, it it it's so strange it's like um imagine reading isaac asimov uh he he's addicted to science fiction, which he wasn't. He wrote in every genre, right? He's addicted to science fiction. No, no, no. I got to go back and make it a science fiction book. Um, I've never had an experience like this where, like, when I read an Isaac Asimov mystery, it's just another Isaac Asimov book, right? Um, yeah. But when I read this book, it's a Philip K. Dick book, which normally means it's a mind-bendy, science fiction, undercutty, uh, existential experience. Um, and that is uh, improved by uh, having it distanced from reality in some way. And the existential dread that lurks under um, Galactic Pot Healer is made manifest when uh, he starts getting communications um, in bottles in his toilet tank, you know? <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. That makes it real. Here, there is no way to access some sort of higher being, even if that being is an in- inferior to an actual god, right? Or some alien who lives across the street, who, um, you know, he, uh, you know, Lord Running Clam, um, offers some sort of um, difference than you know the neighbor who runs the shop next to yours. Yeah, like these characters are well and truly lost. Yes. Like exactly like the title, just like puttering about in this small land. There's no way out apart from to pick up and move on again and try it again and try it again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was also thinking about that title just right before we started. It's it it is puttering about, not puttering around, right? Mm-hmm. I think Paul, you did you start saying that we're going to be puttering around or, or something like that? I um, did. I, I, I did. I did uh, not quite, quite quote the title precisely. Yeah, but see, I think that 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 is interesting because what are what is he puttering about? <laughs> what is this thing about? And it's like, uh, yeah, it's not really about anything, right? What what the uh, fuck is this book about? Well, well, the the, the there is a explanation of the title when. Uh, 
Virginia talks about her husband and th- thinking about all all he wants to do is this is have his little kingdom and puttering about and fixing televisions and she's way more ambitious and go getter than her husband and mm-hmm. I think she, she she I mean this novel's the realization yeah that her husband's not going to amount to anything and she's made this she's made this mistake and so she's almost like waiting for him to bail on her in some ways. There's a, it's it's just like so it's many, like that yeah. inevitability. It's almost like inevitability that that to succeed he needs to get eventually get out of the way. But she can't break himself because of the the mores of the 1960s and 50s, and she's not looking for a relationship or anything like that. Although that would have been very dicky, and if she was in a in an affair herself, but I mean she's basically waiting for her husband to screw up and. Eventually, well, with Liz, he does because you know Roger is a prat, and I can't stand him. And <laughs> it was kind of interesting. I like Virginia a lot more than Roger in in this whole relationship. I don't think you're yeah. supposed to like him. I I think he is. I mean, they're all Philip K. Dick. Every character is so Philip K. Dick. Even the wife, you know, that starting off going up to the school, the opening. I was like, wow, yeah. this is a different book. And then, no, it, it it changes gears and we see the same scene, basically, from another character's perspective. Um, the, the, the te- What's the Mrs. Alt? Mrs. Alt. Right? Yeah. Wow, she's a powerful character. And um, I think that that's somebody Philip K. Dick met because he wrote a mm-hmm. whole book about that, <laughs> a science fiction novel, right? That, that visiting the school and the teachers are all robots. What was that book? Yeah. <laughs> um, where you know he's got a yeah. What was that one? It was an A Lincoln simulacrum, but it was uh, maybe the simulacra. Maybe that. Oh yeah. Um, where he, yeah, I mean it was it was because the teachers here are so distinctive. That math teacher, um, Mrs. Alt, the the visit to the um, the the horses and. Uh, I think the kid was a combination of whichever Philip K. Dick kid it was, and also Philip K. Dick himself. His his character realization in here is amazing. I know. I keep on feeling like this is as close as you get to his. You know, it's like you're you're always seeing Philip K. Dick in his stories anyway, but this one like brings us in so close. Yeah, it's <laughs> like this is all his fears and all of his. I think this uh, interactions with women. Yeah, I think I think they're all real people. Um, at least in some close degree. The the uh, cheating. I think that really happened um, because it happens in so many books. I I don't know, you know, if it was exactly this set of relationships. But um, the TV repairman, the TV uh, retailer, the mm-hmm. the remember Childan from. Uh, was it Robert Children? Man, Man the High Castle. Yeah, from Man in nope. the High Castle. His his horrible personality um, mm-hmm. and his his psychology and and uh, what's so strange is that Philip K. Dick's on both sides of this, right? He's both the retailer and the mm-hmm. the guy trying to sell um, stuff to him. He's both the the, um, the established guy and the guy who wants to buy in. And so mm-hmm. it, it, it's a fascinating book, and I recommend it to everybody who uh, wants to go deep on Philip K. Dick books. But yeah, yeah. I agreed with Paul. It, it, it's got a lot of 
lot of stuff you will not like if you're uh, not in the right mindset for it, I think. Because I, I had to f- sort of bootstrap myself into the right mindset. Yeah, me too. It's kind of like, it's like you have to let it sort of hypnotize you and just like, right. Go, all right, I'm going in this place. <laughs> yeah, but it might be a case of because I had the technical problems that I didn't have a opportunity to bootstrap. And so I just was, uh, I just plotted and puttered through this thing. It's like, it was over. Like, thank God I have another audiobook I have to listen to this week. I'll go start that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can totally see, like, you know, some, sometimes you're just not in the right mood for things. But this one, I didn't have high expectations for it. And I didn't get what I expected. But uh, the other the other thing that was amazing to me is is I think if you classify this book differently, if you put it in a different section of the library or the bookstore than it is normally classified in, I think it will be a much better book. So one of the things that kept I I, I was like this is this scene this is a crime novel scene, right? And it it sort of doesn't be. Technically, it is a crime novel. I'll, 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 t- I'll tell you a couple reasons why. Not because he steals the TVs, because that's arguable. <laughs> but because they commit adultery, and apparently that's illegal at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know it's not a big heist or anything. Um, but I, I've been thinking a lot about James M. Cain, uh, Double Indemnity, and uh, uh, Postman Always Rings Twice. And mm-hmm. uh, both of those are... I don't know if you guys have read them, but probably seen the movie Double Indemnity. I've seen the movie. Yeah, so... I haven't. Oh, you should. It's wonderful. Um, Postman Always Rings Twice and Double Indemnity are about uh, married wives who um, have adulterous relationships with men who then kill their husbands. Um, And the power comes in, in the... Sort of the uh, Greek um, fate ending, the Greek fate track that they get on, and they're otherwise just normal folks, kind of jerky, kind of cynical, um, and then they basically end up destroying themselves in a car wreck of uh, of you know murder and and sex and love, um, and. The scenes where he's driving, driving his mother-in-law in the back seat. Um, she's nattering at him, mm-hmm. and I, I thought, oh my God, if I was in this car, I would pull over the car, open the trunk, get out, <laughs> get out like a tire iron, hit her over the head, and bury her in the fucking Whoa. wood. Whoa! She was <laughs> so horrible. Right, she was tearing him down, um, tearing yeah. him down from and and it's you know it's not like this is just some stranger. She he married into this, right? He can't escape. There's no escape, and she wouldn't stop. Yeah, well, that's why I would. I don't think this is a crime novel. I totally read it as a horror. And it is like, a horror in that sense, yeah, because he can't escape. Yeah, but yeah, and it's really interesting because our main character Roger is kind of um, he's an absolute dick. Like he's just like a horrible human being as well. Mm-hmm. And the woman who are kind of has antagonist antagonists who he's trying to escape from or deal with are a little bit nicer. They're all 
pretty horrible people as well. But you can see why they horrify him. And um, yeah, it's kind of, I see it as that, that this guy just going from one woman to another and just being terrorized and terrified and <laughs> having no escape. Yeah. Uh, I, I really liked um, the the earlier scenes. Uh, I guess the, the, they're not earlier. They're just earlier in time. Um, during the war when they're working in the in the aircraft manufacturing plant. Yeah. I thought mm-hmm. that that was, um, it was a really, I mean, good writing, but also a really nice setup. I could feel something coming. Uh, and when it did come, uh, which I guess we'd already seen, um, it it does kind of pay off. I, I'm still I'm still at sea about what what all the school means, and I, I think that perhaps um, I mean what 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 other than the fact that this actually happened does the fact that the the husband doesn't want the kid to go to the school, the wife wants the kid to go to the school, the the wife is attacked by the teacher, and then she says now now this. Now I'm gonna make. I'm not gonna. I'm now I'm gonna put the kid in the school because you've attacked me. Like I don't know what that means when the husband goes up there with the kid. I don't know what that I means. I know those are the parts that when I was reading it, it just felt so much like like he was experiencing this stuff and found mm-hmm. it really tedious. And he's just like, screw you all. I'm gonna make you all experience this <laughs> tedium as well. <laughs> well, I but I think tedious is not exactly the right word because he has such attention to detail. Uh, obviously, the character felt the tedium, and in a sense, Dick yeah, was feeling yeah. the tedium. But he has such attention to detail, and he's all—he's uh, close to the experience, and he's also open to the experience. And I—I I mean, this is this is classic little kid psychology, right? I, I remember this from my own childhood. You know, mom says you got you got to do something, right? And you say, I'm not doing it. I hate it. You might be able to physically make me do it, but I'm not going to enjoy it, right? And then. I mean, it's not always true, but sometimes adults have have uh, sometimes they have uh, sort of greater wisdom and experience than the kids, and then you know the kids like, oh, this isn't actually that bad, but I'm not going to show you that, you know, mm-hmm. where you uh, th- that's literally in this book as well with the kids saying, you know, I don't want to go to this place, and then dad, dad, can I ride the horse? Can I ride, ride, ride? Can I ride, ride like that? That was um, that's kind of the psychology of he's such an emotional sponge that the adult father is reflecting in a sort of detached way this the same experience when he goes up to get that check he's in he's acting the same way as this kid right because they ultimately yeah. they leave the kid there yeah and when he comes back from that experience like after meeting Mrs. Alt, who mm-hmm. um, she's a change. Yeah, I mean she's change. really interesting by herself. Yeah. yeah, but he he has that experience where he remembers his childhood with the chickens and the seeing the yeah. eggs inside them, mm. and then he comes back and he just can't stop talking about it to his wife, and she's like, yeah. "Whoa, yeah." Like, he's what like, is that chicken? Excited all of a sudden. That chicken yeah. scene is like it, it. It feels like something straight out of uh, speaking of horror. It feels like something straight out of that uh, uh, the father thing, you know. With all those yeah. eggs and yeah. the chicken being upset about, you, you, you've taken my eggs, even though they're all, like, old and moldy and rotten. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. Yeah, well, all the bottom ones. But it just, and notice he says it, it went down and down and down. Like, it yeah. was it was down to the center of the earth almost, right? Yep. That's one of those what? scenes where I, I felt, like, no, wait, it's turning science fiction, 
right? It's turning fantasy. It's turning. It's turning yeah. PKD. What What do you make? Speaking of that, about him, keep changing his story about his brother. Hmm. And what happened to him? That's a good question. I I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, it it because he gives several different versions of what happened to his brother, depending on circumstance, and it's like. I mean, I I was hoping for a half second there was a speculative, like, multiple reality thing yeah. going on. But no, things collapse. He's just, Roger's just a, just a twit who just can't keep his story straight. And, it wouldn't take very but, much at all to flip this into a science fiction story at all. Right? I, I, if, if, if we added enough science fiction elements, I probably would have been able to go through it and enjoy it because it's I well written. I think you written, would have loved but, it because it is so well just, written. But yeah, it's just got nothing. I mean, not now to tell a little bit about myself. I remember back in middle school and high school, growing up in school, I hated mimetic fiction. Yeah. Whenever, whenever I had to read it, it's like, this is boring. It's this punishment. is stupid. Yeah. I, I mean, I was given this book of short stories to read, and I vividly remember this stupid one called A New Apartment about these horrible people talking about, about the the new apartment that they've moved into and it was actually set in Germany. And it's like, I too have found Lunonium has had his ace at borderline Kleising. It's like, I hate these people. Why do I care about this? I yeah. don't. I, I nearly failed reading in seventh grade because I just hated the books they wanted me to read. Yeah. Not because I hated reading mind you, because I was reading every science fiction book my older brother would give me, but I just hated the books they gave me. I, yeah, yeah. I, I need a speculative element in my fiction otherwise, or otherwise I really get antsy and it has to be something really, really, really good. I mean, we're talking top tier, you know, Dickens or whatnot or, or else. Yeah. It's just like, I don't care about it. I'm hundred percent with you. I, it's I, I, it's a weakness of mine. I'm, I, I admit I've read maybe, you know, I've read a ton of books and I, in the last 25 years, I've probably read four or five mainstream fiction books. And, you know, usually it's because somebody who, like you, you know, basically only reads the good stuff, right? <laughs> recommends something outside. So I read a, a book called um, The Man in, uh, Man in Full by Thomas Wolfe. And mm-hmm. it was, it was, Again, it was yeah, it was a mainstream book, but the what made it good, what made it recommended to me was because it was a, basically an existential novel, right? It's 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 misclassified in a certain sense. So if you look if you look at this as a yeah, about marriage, I I totally agree. It's horrible. It's just horrible, boring fucking shit, right? Just like why would I ever want it's like <laughs> listening to my neighbors talk about their their marriage. I don't care. Don't tell me about it, right? Please. Nothing less interesting than that. However, um, what what casts these people adrift? Oh, and by the way, the other thing that's amazing about this book is the periodness of it, without the overlay of uh, being set in the future. I I didn't get. I've never seen a picture of uh, the fifties like this. That was so. Uh- um, Complete, Com- yeah, complete, and not in a Hollywood way, if you know what it, I mean. Yeah, because it, it starts right off with with an interesting detail I found right away. Like, okay, I I can see when 
the latest could have been made because they talk about going up Highway 99 and then heading off to Ojai. Interstate 5 has not been built yet. Right, right. I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then now she's going along 126. I was like, um, I was following in a map trying to figure out what's like, Okay, so she's following that. And now she's going along the mountains and hating the drive every moment of it because it's a crappy road. So, um, I mean, and the whole talk about color TV versus mm-hmm. black and white TVs. So, I mean, it's not, there's no info dumping here. It just immerses you into the 1950s, which I thought was yeah, it, fairly it well very, done. It is very, very, very immersive. And being, being on, on, try, he's not trying to give us the, those details. They just are there. And I've mm-hmm. never, I've never, I, I'm sure, I'm sure I've read a million things from the 50s, but it never gave me this sense of, oh, this is a real place. This is a real time. The, you know, the late 1940s and how people reacted to each other. There's so many scenes where it's just set on a normal street. And, you know, these are the same streets that normally be, you know, like in The Hanging Stranger where, you know, everybody... He's come out of the basement, which is a lot in this book, right? He's come out of the basement from his TV repair store. That's in, if you guys have read uh, The Hanging Stranger, it's such a great story. Um, he comes out of the basement, and everything in, in his 1950s town is exactly the same, except there's a corpse dangling from one of the uh, telephone uh, poles, and nobody seems to care or notice. And when he points it out to them, right, it's like, oh yeah, I wonder, it must be a promotion of some kind. Like they they just react the wrong way, right? It's like he time traveled into the 1950s, and everybody's lynching people. Right, and they're like, "Yeah, that's normal," and it's such a great story. It it, it has this story has that feeling of of transparency into into a, a social reality, and so one of the th- undercurrents in here that was very interesting um, was you know the ra- the racism. Obviously, I I I thought Paul's Paul is not gonna love this book just because of this one scene where. <laughs> and I'm like, no, yeah, I'm right with you, right? Where he, something bad happened to him. I can't remember what it was. Something bad happened to him. And then he muttered under his breath at a black man who's just walking down the street. Yeah. And he said, you know, I can't even remember what he said, but it was, it was probably nigger or something like that. And, and and he didn't say it. The word was he didn't mutter it quietly enough. And then his yes. teeth are fucking flying out of his mouth all over the street. And we say, good, you fucking deserve that, you fucker, right? I, I, I did think he deserved what he, he did. He did deserve it, but he also didn't deserve it in the sense that he wasn't even really mad at that guy. He wasn't He wasn't trying to – he was mad at whatever it was prior. I can't even remember what that was. Was it his mother-in-law or feeling powerless or something like that? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't think it even matters. I think it's it's being put in that situation and then seeing, you know, the consequences of, like, I don't know who that happened to. I hope it wasn't Philip K. Dick that he got all his teeth fucking knocked out for being a racist. Um, but that's got to be true, don't you think? Because it's so <laughs> felt so real. Visceral. Oh yeah. man, and like the problems he has, like it just goes on and on. He doesn't like you know six months later, right? He, he has to go home with a mouthful of broken teeth, and then his wife says, "What happened?" And then he has to explain 
and then he has to he refuses to go to the dentist like a little kid and then he goes <laughs> to the dentist and the dentist says well we can save one of them and I'm like no <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on and he's like this has got to be true this really happened and then he some he somehow sort of kind of crawls his way out of this horror these that he's put himself in for no reason and then there's new horrors to come right which is basically the whole book like it's constantly totally. he's constantly putting himself in these horrible situations and then crawling out of them and then putting himself back in yeah. a horrible situation oh man it must have been hard to be pkd <laughs> and speaking of that um that dentist trip how mm-hmm. great is the um the rage um kind of trip that he has when he comes out and he's still on the oh, yeah. dentist drugs and he's just like raging at the whole world it's like every like i don't know middle class white guy's fear just like all crushed into this <laughs> he, he's, spiel he's amazing at, at, at that he that he can put on paper the the experiences, uh, emotional experiences that he he sees in himself and other people, the fact that mm-hmm. his wives in this book, multiple wives, obviously, uh, one one he marries immediately or is previously married to, and then the next one that he's going to get married to, right? Um, some in some ways they're perfectly encapsulated, so that their psychology is as good as as the main character. Mm-hmm. I could have, I could have, I, I could have, you know, thought maybe this is written by a woman. It was so good. It, and and when he, we have realizations, you know, they're talking about what's what's the, uh, the one they call dumb. She's not really dumb, right? Oh, uh, Liz. 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 Yeah. yeah. Okay. So she, she. She is a fantasy character that I've seen in other stories. There's one called Upon the Dull Earth. Um, that is such a great story, and it's set pretty much in the same place. There's uh, it, it, on the same car ride. There's a you know the highway, the the service station, and the trees, and then um, they dig a trench in that one, just like they do in this. Um, you guys probably didn't focus on that part, but when no. they're talking about going to do the picnic, the yeah. wife says we're gonna dig a trench, and and we're thinking, hey, things are picking up, you know. Families getting back together, right? And <laughs> it's so amazing to see all of the other stories reflected in a in a sort of um. This is almost like um. You know, one of those Star Trek episodes where somebody's having a waking dream and it's reflecting the reality that's really the. What, I don't know what's that Deep Space Nine episode where um, he thinks he's a. Uh, a 1930s pulp detect uh, pulp uh, pulp magazine right. writer. Yeah. Right. And it, it, but that's just reflecting the reality of you know some some current reality. But he's high on drugs or whatever the explanation was. This is um this is the non actually yeah. The episode actually makes it in a very PKD sense unclear whether or not right really it's it's actually all. The, the whole Star Trek universe Space is really is a, that's right is, is is really in this guy's head that that is the real real reality it's very yeah. PKD that way I love that episode that's that's why that's such a great episode the entire Star Trek Next Generation Voyager Deep Space Nine the original Star Trek is all just this guy's writing right yeah um and you can't tell which which universe you're in this is a kind of a 
the the non funhouse mirror version of all of his writings, right? It's the it's the actual photographs or or elegant yeah. paintings, <laughs> the originals. Yes. Yes, and I, I think I, that's so amazing. I, that's I, why I, this I, book I, is so good. And yeah, yeah, given it's in the fifties, this is what he would mine and use and think about as he put in put into science fiction casts mm-hmm, going mm-hmm. into the late fifties and into the sixties. This is this is the Urtex. This is what now when I first read um Time Out of Joint, it had a forward where it was talking about him trying to write mainstream fiction. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of his attempts to do so. And it's like but I don't want to live in the reality where Phil Kittick became a, a successful mainstream writer because I never read, I would have never read any of his books. They would have disappeared without a trace, and the world would be poorer for it. I, 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 I but, to... but on the other hand, on the other hand, I feel bad that, I mean, Phil Dick's fate in this, our own world was not the greatest either. But I'm selfish as like I prefer this world where I got to re- where I get to read his. Is uh, science fiction rather than him being a successful, if a little quirky, mainstream novelist who sank without it. He might still technically be alive in that other reality and <laughs> just just as retired and living off decaying royalties from all these old mainstream books from the fifties. You, you, you got it again. <laughs> it's like this book. You got it wrong, Paul. Here's why. He is a success in this world. Yes, he died uh, before he realized the success. But that was not that's not real success. Getting getting recognized during your lifetime is not really the kind of success I think of him as being the success he is. Right. The reason he's so great is because some obscure 1950s novel that couldn't get published at the time is worth digging out and and actually publishing and even giving an audiobook to because he's such a great idea man that his work will live on well past his own mere trivial and if this book is anything to go by boring <laughs> terrible existence <laughs> right um and, and and putting it that way thinking about it that way think of all the mainstream writers who've wasted their lives and never had the chance to have turn what what mimetic fiction is into something great and wonderful right martian time slip can't exist without the the kind of mundane retardation of whatever this book is you know struggling to deal with with that little added twist and i'm gonna make the case again that this has um a kind of subversive way of reading it you know if you, if you turn the mexicans into martians because that's what he does in his other fiction right he turns the mm-hmm. mexicans into martians um you just have to squint a little bit and you can see that this book has many scenes where it is really a science fiction book or a fantasy book or whatever the pkd genre normally is so remember in the in the shop when i guess liz is going going a little bit bonkers um, telling the shoe shine boy, no, the shoe repair boy, um, about their relationship and how they just slept together and 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 the the kids just standing there, right, not saying anything, and we're not even seeing a reaction from him. And she says to our main character, um, he didn't even hear me. N- none of them can hear me. I could tell it to anybody. And there's no counter evidence against that other than, you know, our normal perceptions of reality is that's not how things work, right? Right. 
Huh. There's lots of other scenes like that, too. And I've got one I, I want to mention, but I, I was hoping you guys would have been able to spot them as well, where where it felt absolutely 100% like it was about to turn into a science fiction novel, and then it, it just sort of moved on. Yeah, I think especially with Liz's scenes that happened a lot, it's mm-hmm. like he could see something in her, like where she was the one that she's, was going to break through this yeah, weird fantasy, reality. Fantasy woman. In Upon the Dull Earth, she's literally like almost a witch, right? Here, mm-hmm. uh, not in a negative sense, just like she has, she's a sorceress, right? Um, here, she she's kind of like that, but... Um, but she's also the one that like her scenes are kind of the crazy, like she says the craziest things according yep. to everyone else, but Roger is seeing something in her that's like like this kind of childlike innocence where she's seeing the reality, which I think is in some of his other stories as well, where the, mm-hmm. the children and the schizophrenics can kind of see through. Totally. Peek behind the curtain. He, mm-hmm. he's a, What's so interesting is PKD actually wrote quite a bit that's set from the children's point of view. We don't normally think of it that way. Um, you know, there's some scenes in a few books where there's a kid and she has a, you know, a secret brother living inside of her or something like that. Um, but uh, I mentioned it earlier, the um, uh, the father thing, that's set from a kid's point of view. Um, a bunch of kids, you know, find, find a basically alien invaders hiding in the in the thickets in the backyard and uh they've stolen the father and turned him into like a i don't know an asshole (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's an amazing amazing horror story if you haven't read that one marissa you're gonna love it the father thing yeah have you read yeah yeah i've read that one Mm -hmm. paul have you read it Long while ago, yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's uh, there's that. There's also um, a really obscure. Um, it's also public domain um, story that's set in one of the least well publicized magazines um, called Tony and the Beatles. And this is uh, this is a, a real. It was one of the weirdest stories I'd ever read by PKD, which is saying a lot, because I didn't understand what like what does this mean. Um, now we're gonna have hopefully uh, Evan Lamp on. Um, he's the guy who's doing a podcast on uh, lots of Philip K. Dick stuff, a lot of Jack London stuff. It's called American mm-hmm. Writers 100 Pages at a Time. That's his podcast, and he did a he did an analysis of that story, and I thought it was you know it re- really offered key insights, but it's also you know he he didn't touch on the fact that. He is writing it from a kid's point of view because when he sees those kids, his own kids, you know, playing on the on the living room floor, playing a game of Monopoly or whatever, he he's so such an empathetic sponge that he he can get into their psychology perfectly, just like he he was when he was a kid himself, and he translates that to the page. So another scene like that where in this book where. It turns into a science fiction novel for a moment. Is right at, right near the end when they're in the car, and I, I think everything's going great, right? Right before they pick up the um, the Mexicans, I mean the Martians. Right before he picks up the Martians, um, the the kid is saying, talking about his stamp collection, and Mrs. Alt had had asked him uh, to pick up some stamps for him, right? And he said, he said, Dad, did they? This is a very Philip K. Dick. Dad, did they ha- use stamps in Roman times? 
<laughs> yes. And he says, I don't think so, son. <laughs> it's like, what's what? what is this doing in the book? Like, what, what does this have to do with anything? And then the kid says, uh, Greg says, I think I have one. <laughs> He's got a stamp from Roman times. And that's the end of that scene. I was like, what does that mean? Where did well, that come from? Where did that go? What is, yeah, where, where did that come from? Where did it go? And the thing is, is um, that happens so many times. I mean, that's the denouement of so many Philip K. Dick novels where, right, what was the one we just read had that, um, we just put it out as a show, uh, where he finds a coin and it's got a different guy's face on it. Remember? Um, oh, yeah. It's, uh, oh, I can't remember which uh, which book it is, but. Um, it's uh, Ubik. Ubik. Okay, yeah, it's Ubik. That's right. And he he finds a coin and it has the, 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 the face of the guy who's outside the story. He's out in the, making us think that everybody's like. That, Dead, yes. That is the turn. Or in cold sleep. Yeah, in cold sleep. That is the turn that he makes so often. And and the thing is, is I think that this is actually him being a kid in a certain sense. Because you guys, I don't know how often you talk to kids. I talk to them all the time. Because <laughs> um, I'm a tutor and I, I'm going to see some later today. And what's so hilarious about kids is they're almost like, they're. it's like they've got schizophrenia. Because they'll say anything. Right, <laughs> and adults just gloss over it like it's nothing. It's normal, and they will say stuff like, um, "I think my feet are on fire," and he's saying, "Nope, your feet aren't on fire," and you don't even think anything about it, right? <laughs> nothing is it like it means absolutely nothing. If you talk to if you like talk to little kids like they're adults, and I do that all the time, they sound like they're fucking insane because if, <laughs> if they were walking around without a mom with them. Uh, and they were a little bit taller. You would say they're a homeless person who's got schizophrenia, and, and this is a really scary situation, and I feel bad for them. But just because they're little kids, we don't even think anything about it. We don't even notice it. But it literally is true. Talk to a little kid. They sound like they're insane. Um, <laughs> and what awesome. happens is Philip K. Dick, he listens to them, I guess, in the same way that I do. And he says, wait, wait, wait. What if that's true? <laughs> So I'm more like, no, don't worry, your, your your feet aren't on fire. I'll set them on fire, but they're not on fire right now. If you want me to, I'll put them on fire. Right? But the difference, <laughs> the difference is, is um, you know, kids aren't dangerous generally, um, because they are kids and they're gonna grow out of that. <laughs> they don't like they think their feet are on fire for a minute. You know, I don't know why I'm getting this feet on fire, but that the yes. fact that he thinks, the fact that he thinks that he's got a Roman stamp to him is true in that moment. Right. Yeah. But the father doesn't think anything about it, but Philip K. Dick did. And that's, that's, uh, that's the, uh, those little touches are what make this a great, great book. Even though, mm-hmm. even though I agree with Paul that it's, it's got horrible, boring subject matter. Um, I think the way it elicits the sense of existential dread that makes you want to go to something like science fiction is refreshing. I don't want to read any more mainstream books, but I might read another mainstream Philip Gaedic book. Yeah, exactly. It's made me curious about his other mainstream books. You read one other um, one, right? I don't think so. This is the only one I've read. Oh, okay. Is this your second read on this? Yeah. Okay, okay. Ah, 
yeah, I, I read it. I reviewed it on your guys' site, I think, a long time okay. ago. It was like years ago. Uh, but, there's um, one called the, uh, a man, the Man Whose Teeth Were All Exactly Alike. Yeah, I haven't read that one. Uh, that makes me think that it's a sequel to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. <laughs> They're all caps. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, yeah. the, the premise is just like, like nothing. It's terrible. It's so boring. But once you get into his like dream state or whatever he's put you into and yeah. get into these people's heads. They're horrible people. Like I know that's what put Paul off it, but I actually feel the other way. Like I hate reading about super good people who have been heroic and I, great I and doing things right. I love reading about these fuck ups. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I mean, if you think, if you think of some of the best writing, um, it's the, some of the best writers too. They just write asshole after asshole. <laughs> and, and we somehow don't think about that. Uh, I'm trying to think of which story I'm thinking, uh, which writer I'm thinking about. But uh, Stephen King is a good example, generally, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, I also I think maybe like Nelson Demille, who writes at mainstream. Like sometimes I like his stuff because his characters are just sort of snarky, snarky. Yeah, and they're not that great. You know, they're kind of like. Oh. But it's fun. I don't know. I enjoy reading those kind of people. Mm-hmm. I think they're more relatable because I, I know more people like that. I don't know that many heroes. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're not holding yeah. out for a hero? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I, I want to read this um, review on Goodreads. I think it's pretty good. It, it, it's, it, it captures a lot of it. This is um, mm-hmm. uh, the very first review on the Goodreads for puttering about in the small land uh, by Hyzinthale is the name of the person here it is the worst part of having a favorite author who died before you started reading him is that eventually you will run out of new reading material the best part of that favorite author being Philip K. Dick is that he was prolific as fuck and he has so many books that are only recently coming back into print and or being published posthumously for the first time that even though I've been reading him for 20 plus years, I still haven't run out of new to me, uh, new to me shit to read. Um, and I, I got to tell you, I'm so happy there's lots of Philip K. Dick left to read, even if it, yeah. it ends up being ma- mainstream, because it makes me feel like I got things to look forward to, you know, in the years mm-hmm. to come. Uh, next paragraph. Puttering About in the Small Land is one of those mythical PKD volumes I searched used bookstores and thrift shops for for years. It was first published in the mid-80s, following Dick's death, then went out of print for almost three decades, because there was never much call for his literary fiction. It's not sexy enough to be referred to in hushed, reverential tones like uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, or mindfucky enough to be a scholarly treatise on humanity and reality like the Vallis Trilogy. It's a quiet book dealing with adultery and retail. <laughs> and that's yeah. actually a really good summary of it. It's mm-hmm. undeniably an early dick book exploring what exactly it means to be human, to feel, and this is very good too, to, to feel eternal. I think that's a great line. Knowing mm-hmm. all this pain is an illusion. The prose and style will be familiar to anyone who's read more than a handful of his books or short stories, but it's not one of his big damn idea books. Um, I, I, and that reminds me. That scene reminds me when she's when the, they're having sex, and she's thinking and then talking about being immortal. Yeah. Right. That's not. Uh, this is like why I was thinking. This is a 
incredibly sexually explicit for the 1950s too. It's the most explicit I've ever seen him. And yeah, he's yeah. usually yeah. there's sort of stealth sex scenes, right? This yeah, yeah. She, she doesn't know what a clitoris is. Yeah, she, she almost names she it. Knows she knows it. Yeah, she starts with S or C, something yeah. like that. Did you also notice as well that scene that's like where the, I mean, she's basically like consuming him. Like she turns into this kind of monster and then the spider crawls on her hip. Right. Like while they're having sex, like that kind of like spider that we've seen in so many others of his books, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the chaos. It really happened, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because it comes again and again. Um, (laughs) The prose style and and style will be familiar to anyone who's read or the handful of his books. Then the next paragraph is, is great. I feel like I'm not explaining myself very well. <laughs> great review. Uh, if you're a genre fan thinking about to dabble in dick, don't start here. Waves hand. This is not the books you're uh, the book you're looking for. <laughs> you go read something else. If you don't want to start with the usual suspects, I applaud you. <laughs> I would recommend the penultimate truth, Doctor Blood Money, or Cos- the Cosmic Puppets, because you will likely find this book slightly book slightly plotting pace infuriating if you're a litfic reader looking to broaden your horizons you could give this one a go maybe only if you've already uh if you've already into mid-20th century americana though this might not be your best part starting point you'd be better serviced by picking up confessions of a crap artist or flow my tears the policeman said which yes is genre fiction but only just Fellow dickheads, obviously you need to read this. After Milton Lump, Milton Lumpke, uh, who knew who knew typewriter sales would be so compelling, you might hate it, but your need for completion will compel you. And then this expression, I don't really know what it means, but I've seen it all over the internet. TLDR, what's that mean? Too long didn't read. Ah, this book, too long didn't read. This book isn't for you, or you, or you, but it might be for you. <laughs> Uh, it's not a great review yeah that's great it's perfect and uh, four four out of five stars so i think that's how i rated it when i first read it too i think i think i think it's a possibly the best mainstream book i've ever read um there are are some you know i read a lot of crime books and they, they sort of flow from mainstream um, yeah, but I, but I don't consider crime books really mainstream. I agree. Mainstream. I agree. Yeah. So I think so. I, so I wasn't counting stuff like Red Harvest mm-hmm. and and or the Maltese Falcon. They're not mainstream, the, really. That, that's right. the thing, right? Um, but yeah, it, it it is pretty close. There's an another book that uh, it it theoretically is mainstream, but um, it's such it's such a great book because it uses the i'll just tell you um it's i feel like i'm not explaining myself well okay so basically it's by mario puzo and i'm trying to remember the name of the title but it's it's about a guy who he starts the novel off he says i am a master of magic let me weave this spell upon you and basically his it's just a life a guy's life story but he he sees himself as a wizard and that he can control reality, um, but but he can't. Well, it's a mainstream book. It's just a basically oh, cool. a memoir. It's just a memoir of a guy who basically works in casinos in in Las Vegas. 
Uh, oh, I know what it's called. It's called Fools Die. It's a that terrific book. Yeah, it's a terrific. It's quite long, but a terrific, terrific book. Um, and you know, it has all the things that we normally see, like it has marriages and uh, you know breakups and stuff like that. Um, and it has a little bit of crime in it, but it's not really a crime book. It's more like a, uh, a fictional memoir. But because it's framed with this, um, like, you know, I'm Merlin sort of element, it feels much... I mean, so many times in this book, it, it it's basically a robot taxi or something that just isn't a robot taxi. It, it's described <laughs> that way. Remember right near the beginning... Um, What's the wife's name? She's driving the kid. Virginia. 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 She's driving uh, Greg up to um, the school, and she sees a bus on the road, and she, yes. she calls it obese and uh, aged. Like, it's it's the one that's tro- troubling her, not the driver, right? Mm. And so many, t- so many times... It, the metaphor, the um, the fantasy um, fairy tale aspect, is present except for the actual fact that it's not present right it's being described in fantasy terms but the characters don't notice that yeah i i i love i i I really love this book even though i i was like i don't think i'm gonna like this book I, i think it's so good yeah i think i know what you mean and it's all it's almost the same way as that um, sex scene we were just talking about on the grass where that's right. almost described as like a fantasy horror scene but right. they're just like shagging on the grass but yeah. yes. <laughs> the way it's like described is yeah like just a totally different genre almost yeah he's a weird guy Mr. PK <laughs> yep Cause he, well he, he likes it's new that yeah but not in the way like you know that most people think oh he's up on drugs and he's tripping and he's writing down his dreams no it's more like <laughs> It's more like uh, he, he he becomes this emotional sponge. He he's super sexual. Um, he has all kinds of emotional reactions to his his sexuality. Um, and he when his girlfriend slash wife says something about him, he takes it personally. Um, yeah. And then he incorporates that into sort of a a way of looking at the world. And then he can totally unjustify it and drive drive off and leave his wife and kid, right? Yeah. He's a compl- he's a, a complicated man. Too complicated, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but I think this book really gives us an insight into like some of that, comp- like especially his thing with women was always kind of like. That's complicated as well, but mm-hmm. this book kind of gives you an insight into it where you can see him, like, running away from the colder, harder woman and pulled to the fun, childlike ones and then freaking out because he's realizing that's totally. going to, like, take away his masculinity as well and, like, <laughs> just this constant fear of of his relationships. I noticed, that yeah, can't. that word you use, childlike, um, mm-hmm. that how, that she is, whoever this woman is, who whichever one of the wives or girlfriends this was, um, she is in so many of his stories because um, there's a great story. I think we've done it on the podcast called um, uh, "Of Withered Apples." You guys remember this story? Maybe I just told you. About yeah. It. It's yeah. about a a girl who lives with her husband and and the father-in-law, and she asks permission of her husband to go for a walk in the in the backyard and up the ravine or whatever. 
and she goes up there and she finds a farm an abandoned farm with rocky ground and there's a tree and the tree uh, is basically a sexual predator or something and she's teasing mm-hmm. it and it uh, she's talking to it every sound that it makes in the blowing of the breeze she um, she says no I can't do that like she's like interpreting it's we don't see what it says but we can figure it out and then she she runs away from it and it throws an apple towards her which rolls down beside her as she's running away and then she eats it and then she takes it home uh, <laughs> and it kills her she has a burst appendix and then at the end of the story the, there's a tree growing out of her great 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 story I just summarized the entire thing um, yeah. that character that girl is uh, not Virginia who's the other one Liz. 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 That's Liz. Because um, she is childlike. She has to ask permission uh, of her of her uh, husband at one point. But also, she's the impetuous uh, witch from Upon the Dull Earth, right? Who's running and dancing in the woods and let's do this, let's do that. Nobody yeah. can see us, right? Take and everyone's talking about her, like. Yeah. Yeah. The- all, everyone else can see it like they're all sort of like she has no sense of like consequences or she's right. just like careless and right whatever's in the moment mm-hmm. I kind of want to I kind of want to go back to that school and see what the other other, other kids are doing and <laughs> I, yeah because it's started off I, I was interested in the school and Mrs. Alt and the teachers there but we spend so little time there I want to read I want to read the a bit from the drive because you mentioned yeah, the yellow it. bus because I mean I did I did like the description of them trying to get up to the school so I mean I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like I hated absolutely everything in this book and I didn't but so they continued on up kerning constantly until at last they reached the top of the mountain range below them lay the Ojai Valley both she and Greg Lala cry at the sight it's flat Greg, Greg yelled standing up to see. Down we go, she said, gritting her teeth and holding onto the wheel. At each curve, a sheer blank drop, unfenced, reminded that she would have to come back on this road, perhaps at night. She thought, how can I drive this? Sixty or more miles each way. Look, Greg cried, here comes a bus. An obese, senile, yellow school bus was working its way up the grades and curves toward her. In the bus, children waved and leaped about. The road was barely wide enough for the bus, and already had began to honk at her. Is this your road, she wondered, not knowing what to do. The bus honked again, and she brought the car off onto the shoulder so that the overhanging bank of dirt and roots scraped along the window. I was I was afraid about this. Boy, it's yep. like, oh, my God. <laughs> the white wheel spun. She had gotten into a drainage ditch. In panic, she jerked the car back toward the road. The bus now just ahead veered away honking, and she passed it with a swish of dirt turned loose from the bank. Oh, God, she said, finally trembling. She drove on. Greg said, boy, that was a close call. I could I could see that that was really well described. Like, oh my god, I'm stuck on this road. What the heck am I going to do? Right? It had to have Mm -hmm. happened. Because why is that in there? It's it's in there because it happened. All everything is in here because it happened. I think. Yeah, that also reminds me of that early description um, of of you know the wife that he leaves, Mm -hmm. um, who we kind of only get in backstory. The like Teddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Teddy. Um, oh my God, the descriptions of her are so mean. Like she's just like this, like 
ugly, horrible, flat-footed, limp-haired woman with oh. and their house is full of trash, and she's got like those hostile cats that are judging him, and she's mean <laughs> to the baby. And I was like, whoa! Oh. I was just like, is this how you like look back on your <laughs> the ones you've left? Can you see <laughs> Which why one this didn't five? get published? I mean, it makes no sense as a novel. It it doesn't have it doesn't have um, it doesn't have it, what people are looking for. Well, right? it's like a really lo- it's like a really long slice of life kind of like it's yeah. not like a plotted genre novel. It's more like literary, but no, it's it, but it's. Is, see, the thing is, is I, I've, I have read some of those literary novels, uh, or at least n- novelettes and stuff, and they are incredibly plotted. In fact, it's all calculated, right? It's all calculated uh-huh. to have a certain particular effect um, so that it will get the right check marks and people will say, this is the literary novel all you literary novelists, novel readers have to read this season, right? They're all designed to do that, and then they, they sink after right after six years nobody remembers any of those books um they just don't continue Uh, the only thing i can think of as exceptions are like you know for literary fiction is like uh i don't know that southern guy who (laughs) he wrote a bunch of short stories in a very strange dialogue sort of i can't remember his name it's about faulkner 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 right yeah so when you read (laughs) faulkner you say aha I see. Yes, yeah. very literary, um, and it has a sort of a it's a an artistic style that is distinctive. But I don't mm-hmm. remember anything that happened in a Faulkner story. I just remember Faulkner's style. Um, yeah, and it's a good style. It's fine, but I'm not in it for style, so don't worry about it. Um, and anyways, I wanted to point out that um, on the Philip K. Dick's fans page. Uh, mm-hmm. Our friend um, Ray Nelson says that. Listen to this. PKD one-time collaborator. Yeah, sorry. Friend of the podcast. Right, right. PKD's one-time collaborator, collaborator Ray Nelson in the Ganymede Takeover believes that Dick pandered to the market by changing this, his storylines. For instance, and then here's the quote: "Puttering about in a small land gets a new ending. The original ended at." at the end of chapter 20, which is, I think, two chapters from our end, right? Uh, with the words, it would bother me. Plus a, plus a, quote, moving vehicle coda. And that's interesting. Now well, lost. You, yeah. Huh. Now, yeah. the heroes, now the hero's mean wife demands the hero's store and gets it. Two chapters give the hero a new lease on life and a carload of TV sets to sell. Hero? Yeah. Mark's just not a hero. Wow, Mr. hero, Mr. Nelson, yeah, is hero really protagonist. Hero, hero protagonist, yeah. <laughs> no, he's not a hero. No, yeah, no, I mean, I, don't, don't, don't take that character. As a, yes, but I, they're talking I, I, about it in a way. If you talk of like a, a fiction device here, yeah, not I, like a, yeah. not like my hero, like yes. fiction. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. Age. Can yeah, you tell get, I really didn't like Roger? Don't get hung up on that part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would like it if it had ended there. I think that, um, I mean, I'm still convinced this is. Like almost like literary, like horror. I think he's—it's a guy running away yes. from the monsters, yes. and he didn't have to survive at the end. And it would have been one of his best science fiction novels to see if he had sort of slightly emphasized the uh, the science fiction, um, <laughs> as in it would have been one of his most popular. I don't know if uh, you you would have to do a lot of uh, 
it needs a lot of work to be turned into a science fiction novel, which he's done in other other books. But uh, it, it would it be an interesting of, project, like a it fan. It totally would. A fan art project is to try and rewrite this as a. <laughs> it wouldn't take that much. It would take a couple of changes here or there. You know, like I'm saying, you just change the word. Um, in fact, I think if you just publish this whole book and you turned every time it says Mexican into Martian and you then maybe gave the Martians, uh, Mexicans, Martian accents instead of Mexican accents, um, it would it would be a thousand times better. And the reason it would be a thousand times better is that the existential uh, whatever's going on in here, not dread, existential horror, yeah, that's the word for it, um, where there is no truth about what our purpose is, would be magnified. Because yeah, it, nobody would have noticed the fact that, like, nobody notices the Mexicans. But once you realize, oh, the Martians are here on Earth and they're doing stuff and everything goes on as it was... That's actually an even bigger magnification on the fact that this is a horror novel. Yeah, what the mm-hmm. heck? Yeah, why are they here? Why are there? Why are people not reacting? And, and, to and them? we don't care, and we don't get any answers. But notice that the protagonist follows their line of thinking. Right? It's time to move on. Instead of go south, it's time to go north. Right? It's, go, it's time uh, to go to Chicago, and then uh, that it becomes a a power book instead of just a you know. Uh, isn't that curious? He wrote some weird mainstream books. Mm. I'm, I, I would assume that the reason he was writing mainstream books is a combination of the fact that he would like to have some mainstream literary success. Everybody who everybody who thinks they're doing really good work would like to have that acknowledged, you know. And no matter how successful he was as, uh, during his lifetime as a fiction writer he was never given any dignity for it right except at the mm-hmm. science fiction conventions and we do know that he really did like being feted in france and thought of as a genius in italy and and you know that the russian scientists cared about what he thought right that that made him immensely happy and i think his attempt to write mainstream is a combination of trying to get into that position and also the fact that this stuff is his life right yeah and and that's why it doesn't work it's because people it's it's not like a mainstream book it is it it's well written but it's not crafted and that ending yeah to try and make it more saleable this book was rejected eight times is it took more 31 years for it to get a publication and only because his other books were so successful and the estate wanted to uh, get some new money right it's not yeah. because uh there was a call for uh for we need more, more bo- mainstream books about fiction. horrible men and who In the are afraid of wives and right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a big call for that it was just like oh, <laughs> he also wrote these um but it, it it's pretty terrific there's um Another review on here, uh, this is from, uh, no, that's not the, there's another review, I swear I saw it. I'll just type in review here. While you're doing that, do you guys know what he was writing at the same time as his book? Because I heard Yeah, I want to know that, actually. I don't Uh, know. Yeah. 
Um, here's, uh, this is, um, in the San Francisco Chronicle 1985, uh, somebody named John Stanley wrote a long, thoughtful, favorable review, and here's a quote. This very readable book lives up to Dick's promises of heightened awareness, the stream of unconscious, as he might have put it. Each character does have a unique way of seeing things and coping with problems, and therein is the novel's masterful strength, not its weakness. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty pretty true. Yeah. Well, looking at the public, looking at novels by year of composition on on Wikipedia, this comes in at 1957. We have uh, besides that, we have the Broken Bubble, which I think is another uh, mainstream book. Uh, yeah. um, that's 56. We have Nicholas and the Higgs, which then has been lost, so we don't know about that. That's um, unfortunate. Pilgrim on the Hill, Manuscript Lost. Um, it was one of ta- his biggies. I mean, The Man Who Japed is 55, and Time Out of Joint is 58. I think it was Time Out of Joint. I was going to say, I feel like it was... Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's someone, one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I mean, yeah, you have these people in this small town, but then reality gets peeled back bit by bit. I love that book. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I dived right into Philip K. Dick after reading the darn thing. Mm-hmm. But this no, this, this, I, this is not. I can't. I can't say that I'm looking forward to next. But um, Paul, is there? Do you, is there any possibility you're going to want to read an, another mainstream book by Philip K. Dick? I I will give it a go because you know if if if, if we break up this uh, trio, then reality will come undone at the seams and. <laughs> So we'll so we'll so we'll see the existential dark that really is hiding behind reality. So we can't have that. So if Ooh, the two you been... want to, if the two you want to do another Philip right. Dick mainstream book, I will do it. Sounds good. Yeah, I want to read them all. And reluctant Paul is. We could have a reluctant Paul review. That'd be good. Yeah. Reluctant Paul. Just drag him in screaming. <laughs> I was thinking that um, if if Paul wasn't on that show during the podcast, I would open my wallet and find a, a bill with his face on it. <laughs> I said, what does this mean? <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. All right. All right. Um, did you guys notice if the f- complete text was online at the Russian website? I don't uh, go to the Russian website. Okay. I went there and it wasn't, but I do have it. I do have it. I just found it this morning. Hang on. Uh, Paul's afraid of the Russians. Okay. Potter. <laughs> I'm yeah, afraid of the that. Russians. Yes, I am. As the American in this group, <laughs> I'm afraid of the Russians. <laughs> Uh, you know they're not communists anymore, right? <laughs> no, they're just authoritarian nationalists. That's not an improvement. That's true. Oh no, no, I think that is a great improvement. All right, and then Philip Kiddick fans.
Who's is that keyboard? Is that Paul's? That's Paul's. Mine's noisy, <laughs> but is his uh, mechanical. No, but this, this is my this is my new well well for my new computer. It's 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 just as mechanical as my old keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> but it's at least a better quality. It sounds like it has its own personal mic. Like yeah. <laughs> it is pretty loud. It's all right. It doesn't ruin the content. Just just. I'm sorry, I'm trying to organize a later Skype call for a later podcast. So, nice. so busy. What else are you doing? Um, we'll be talking about The Vor Game by Lois McMaster Bushold as part of our uh, Reading Rangers thing on Skippy and Fanti. And I've been, ta- I've been trying to get connected with Ann Lyle to because uh, she wants to be a guest for a segment. So, uh, What's the game called? The... The... The novel's called The Vore Game. Oh, it's a novel called The Vore Game. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I might have read that. Um, Lois McMaster Bujol. Um, you said deri- with a derisive tone. No, I actually like her stuff. <laughs> uh, um, I'm What I'm not a fan of is a series, you know, and that's a part of a series. And um, I, I Yeah, actually we're, do- like we're doing the entire writing. series. Yeah. I'm not a series fan, unfortunately. We're, we're working through the series. I mean, we just started. This is like the fourth book. She's yeah, actually we're... a really good writer. Um, her ideas are good. and But the problem is, I also think that maybe it's because she's a girl. She writes about girl ideas more often than uh, I care to think about. <laughs> if there is such a thing as girl ideas. Um, speaking of girl ideas, let's talk about this book. <laughs> Let's talk about this book. I don't know what I mean by that, but it sounds funny. All right. <laughs> okay, here we go. You guys ready? Yeah. I'm ready. All right. 